Hello and welcome to Coast to Coast FC, the new Canadian soccer podcast focusing on all things CPL, Canadian Championship and more. My name is Felipe Ajejo. And I'm Mike Rice. And today we're going to dive into match week number 14 of the Canadian Premier League, halfway through the season now. And we have a couple, I mean, all of the games were really good. We have a lot to talk about ahead of us, so so strap in because this might be a little bit of a hefty episode. But before we get into it, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram and threads at Coast to Coast FC. And on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts, so you know exactly when we upload. But without further delay, let's just jump straight into the action. We're going to go with probably the most surprising results of the Mm -hmm. weekend. Uh, The derby match that everyone was looking forward to, the 905 derby. But I don't think anyone in the stadium or outside of the stadium watching it on their TV screens was expecting a 4-0 win for Forge in York at York Lions Stadium. It was a first career hat-trick in the CPL for Taron Campo as he scored in the 25th minutes, 33rd minutes, and 53rd minutes. Trishan Borges got one in in between that hat-trick in the 47th minute to make it 4-0 win for Forge in a game that honestly could have been 5 or 6-0 for them. It was a complete domination. Mike, for you, you watched this one. How did you feel the game went? Does the did the scoreline really reflect how the game went, or was it uh, a little harsh on York United? I think it was kind of fair. Forge really had a fantastic game. Um, really looked looked up for the derby, the challenge, getting away from home, and they really made it difficult for York, who just we we said over like the quite a few weeks now they look to try and control the game with Lapare and Sumaro in that central midfield but York pressured them and when they got the ball they were patient with it they moved them around and waited for those right times to play those killer balls and it just it, it was working really well for them and this was um probably probably their best performance of the season I'd say for sure yeah I think with uh I mean, they had a couple of pretty decent performances at the beginning of the season when they went on that good run. But this yeah. is the first time that we've we've can honestly say that Forge have steamrolled a team. Because mm. before, even when they were winning at the beginning of the season, we were saying, yeah, but it was only 2-1 or 1-0 or 3-2. Like, it was close, even though it shouldn't have been close because yeah. they couldn't score the goals. But today... Taron Campbell, or, or that game rather, Taron Campbell woke up and decided, I'm going to score a hat trick. I'm going to <laughs> put to bed all of these allegations that we can't score goals. Um, and I think a huge part of that for me is that I saw is like, it, it finally felt like it was a little bit of a refresh for Forge because we saw, I mean, Hojabarpur came in, Noah Jensen came in, and that midfield felt a bit different it felt uh, like i said a little bit more fresh and i think it allowed forge to kind of dispel some of the the bad mojo that they had beforehand and kind of start fresh in this one and i really like the way that the three interlinked and one player that stepped up huge in this game was tristan borges i mean he got that goal he got an, an assist uh, could have had a couple. He was really influential in the midfield there. I was really impressed 
with Tristan. This was the, you know, I honestly, this was more of 2019 Tristan here than, than anything. It was probably one of the best performances I've seen with him in time. But yeah, like uh, it was a complete domination from Forge. And it was, I mean, it could have been worse. They hit the post twice after the opening yeah. goal. Uh, and it felt like York were getting off lucky a bit. But I mean, from a York perspective, they have had some pretty good results lately. They have shown that they have quality, that they're organized, that they're disciplined. And then this game rolls around and they look like this is the the York that everyone feared they were going to turn into uh, because of things that happen out, that are happening outside of the club. For you, what do you think was the thing that went wrong for Forge? What, mm. Was it their game plan? What 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 happened to them? They they didn't um they didn't find a way of being able to um keep the ball. <laughs> really, quite simply, they um this 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 change that you mentioned, obviously, with uh, Noah Jensen coming back in, um Hajabor like being more defensive minded. Becker had someone who I think he was on a better wavelength than Sissoko has been in sometimes out of possession. So they were pressing hard. The front three were pressing well too. And throughout this game, I mean, Mobabuli was a passenger just because the ball couldn't get, they couldn't get the ball to him um, from a York perspective. Lapare couldn't get time on the ball to conduct and try and bring in players uh, into the game and work the ball around. And at, at no point did they seem to be able to, get that sort of foothold which we've seen them try to do over these past couple of months where they've been on this good run of form like there's been games where yeah they've been hurried or they've gone behind but they've they've been able to calm themselves down get Lapare on the ball and use their wingers find Babouli in these sort of spaces in between defences and midfield but it just wasn't possible um, and the way that Forge set themselves up and they they just ensured that they could get that. They were getting great um, great opportunities to keep the possession and weren't feeling rushed. So they were able to move that ball around. York would get into their shape and they'd be like, okay, right, now try and break us down. But then they'd get slightly more impatient. And that's where these little gaps appeared. And when you've got some players like Kyle Becker who can pick it up sort of in the half space on the left and switch it all the way to the right with um, and Tristan Borges switch to play in the cross for that first goal. Like they were just waiting for York to get a little bit um, agitated and leave that space where there was a one-on-one or a two-on-one opportunity. And it's, they were, they, the home side just weren't the confident team and they weren't the team that was going to, sort of take hold of the game they were the ones chasing it yeah and if you look at i mean some of the stats from the game obviously you're not going to be surprised when you see forge have 54 percent possession but 19 shots to mm. uh, york's 11 uh, foot mob said that they had seven big chances four of them missed against uh while york had only one that they missed yeah. And if you look at back at the game, I mean, Lapare had a good shot that was turned over by, by yeah. Tristan. Uh, Osama Lu on a free kick in the second half kind of made Tristan work as well. But that was really it. Everything else, yeah. like you said, was one way traffic, more passes. And like, if you even look at the screen, it's all orange themed. Everything. Hey. Um, For, uh, Forge were better in every department. Mm. And it definitely felt like York were getting more and more frustrated as the game went on. And, you know, if we talk about some of the goals, I mean, 
The first one, a little unlucky because it was about a couple of bounces, a couple of shots. Jinsopoulos can do much. Um, I, I mean, I want to talk about the third one because it was a great little leap by Tarrant Campo. But mm-hmm. he has, should have no right to win that ball in between two center backs there because it wasn't like he was isolated. They were He was pinned mm-hmm. between those two center backs and he still out-jumped them to get what looked like a relatively easy goal. I don't know what your thoughts were on that goal, but... Did that kind of yeah. like encapsulate the defense of York on on this day? Exactly, and it, I mean it's not like it was a um, a cutback header or one near the penalty spot. It's in the six yard box. I mean, what's where's Jensopoulos in this presented as well? I mean, from both sides, yeah, he may have found a little gap which he shouldn't have, and it's on the defense there. But when the cross is coming in and it's a chip cross, it's not like it's been drilled in at pace and he's just deflected mm. it off and it's he's just had to try and guide it goalwards. He's got up and he's he's headed it into the net like so it's it's a very deliberate action which you you'd want your goalkeeper to be like when it's in that six yard box right in front of your goal you want your goalkeeper to be saying like this is my area this is my ball but he was up there and it was the striker doing that in the six yard box and that you you can't have defensively that was just just show the the frust- I guess the frustration York were having and they were just losing their sort of composure and their concentration yeah, and, and one thing for Forge that we've been saying for a while is that they've been not having the greatest of luck. They keep getting snake bitten in front. And then you get that luck with that Borges goal. A nasty deflection that fools Jansopoulos. Again, cruel on Jansopoulos there, but that's what yeah. Forge have been waiting for. You know, you thought again in the first half, they hit the post twice off the opening goal. You thought, oh boy, here we go again. <laughs> They're going to be dominating, and then York are going to hit back and score two to flip the game. But no, after that, what seemed like it was going to follow the same script as before, they broke it and they went and they played and they scored. And you could see as soon as that second goal went in, it was like a breath of, of new air in uh, in Hamilton because it was it felt like Hamilton of old uh, in mm. that performance. And for York, I mean, we <laughs> they, they got a red card off the bench in yeah. uh, Babuli, who who came off. And I, I want to see what your perspective on it was, because I was a little confused. So mm. the play stopped on the feed. They were talking about the performance of the match, which was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then randomly we see the ref pull out a red card. And immediately I'm like, what did we just miss? Because yeah. pull out a straight yeah. red and then. It looks like it's going to Babuli. But then one of the coaches from York, I don't, forgive me, I don't know his name, said, but ref, that was me. That was me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, even the commenter was like, is this a case of mistaken identity? Like, did he yeah, give the red card to, to the wrong person? Or was he <laughs> just covering? Being a bit selective of who gets the suspension, I guess, from a York side. Like, yeah. just pure speculation there, obviously. But because like you say, we don't see always like they sh- they cut away from Terran Campbell to a referee holding a red card. Babuli looks furious. I mean, and he continues to go argue with the, um, the referee and uh, his manager has to shove him off the pitch. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. don't get in any more trouble. Like, you're you're killing me here. Like, just go, just go away. He's made his decision. And you see Babuli smashing something as he leaves behind the dugout. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we are, like you say, it's, I mean, we're speculating who said what and what was said and whether the coach is trying to cover and thinking, well, I can sit the next one in the stands and we need our players, um, or whether it whether it was a case of mistaken identity. We'll have to wait for 
the referee's sort of notes <laughs> to be sort of shared, I guess. But a really bizarre one, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, very odd. You don't see uh, red card given to players on the bench very mm. much, unless they're extremely incensed, which probably yeah. evidently it shows was. the frustration. I mean, Babuli, we've we've mentioned in a few games now, like bad tackles late on in games and things like that. And I guess for him, it must he's he's struggling with a little bit of frustration if he if the games aren't going his way like teams of title will target him so they'll make it really difficult for him during a match and who knows what was going on in that moment it was if someone was winding him up or something i don't know but he seems to um he seems to have missed quite a few games for an attacking midfielder who you don't really expect to be picking up their many suspensions yeah, it shows who the hothead of the team really is <laughs> in games like this. But uh, yeah, I'm uh, looking forward. I mean, Forge really stepped up in this game, uh, showing their the colors that they have shown for four years straight beforehand. Uh, and again, we, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago when they got that win after a really bad spell. And in that one, they won, but didn't feel super convincing. And we didn't, it didn't feel like they were out of their slump. And evidently the next game they lost and they weren't. But this one was completely different. This one they dominated fully, 4-0, mm. could have been 6. This finally felt like the Forge of old. Is this the turning point for Forge now, do you think? Do you think they finally dispelled the funk? They finally let go of the chains that shackled them to all of these losses and draws? Or is this another just anomaly in, in waiting? Possibly we are so so wary of get saying now, aren't we? <laughs> the way things have gone when you think this was that like we like you said, the best performance of the season against a rival away from home. And you'd think going into the next one next weekend against Valor, who are struggling offensively. Like if they can play any even anywhere near like it doesn't have to be this exact high quality performance, just somewhere close to that. You'd expect them to continue um, and picking up three points again. But are they going to carry on doing it? Like I, I, I think from the way they played and the fact that they dominated throughout, they got the goal. Chances then hit the post and got like and could have frustrated them like they had before other teams in previous games would have said look okay that's a let off let's get back at this forge team and let's try and try and um, deal with the fact that they haven't been all that confident that wasn't that never that never happened in this game york never had that real opportunity to say right york uh forge have been punished before let's try and get in their heads at no point did forge allow that and i think that that should say to me that they'll go on now and like that's a, a good performance and they should stick to this sort of level going forward. But who knows in the CPR? I mean, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I mean, usually I would say yes, just because yeah. of the level of performance. But also I know that in a derby game, like sometimes that's right. the added factor into a performance. And because it's a derby game and because of, you know, what it means to the players, you know, if five years isn't all that much. If you look at the history of rivalries across uh, uh, the world and soccer, yeah. but still a rivalry is a rivalry. We have seen it being heated before and rivalries will oftentimes get the best set of players and best set of teams. So I don't really know all that much how, how, how that factor played into this performance for Forge. But I wouldn't be surprised if next game they continue this on. But I think it really will will 
hinge on that next game be like to, to sort of determine whether they're out of their slump or not because this could be a one-off i mean definitely for york this is a one-off where they're going to yeah. quickly forget about it in the same in the same vein you could say that for what forge it could be a one-off and next game they could go back to some of the problems that they had before but mm. it'll really hinge on their next performance i think yeah but then yeah for for york uh definitely one to forget i mean i i, I with, with games like this I always wonder, is this just a game where it was a complete write-off, just a, an off game, forget about it, move on, pretend it didn't exist, except for mm-hmm. learning some lessons from it and continue and know you're better? Or does this show some of the, like, should people take this more seriously because this shows some of the glaring weaknesses in the team? And, you know, it, it could it shows what could go wrong if players aren't focused and players aren't 100% into the match. For you, what do you think? Is this something that they should just write off and forget about, or is this alarm bells for them? Yeah, I think um, I think the manager will definitely say, yeah, let's just pretend it didn't happen. We'll get back to our game. We'll, we'll just think that the, the game before was our last one. Um, but it is, I think, the, the biggest concern that I'd have as a York fan watching this is that they're consistently playing their first team players, senior players. And at some point they're going to have to start rotating younger players into this. And if, when you've got your full team out, they are getting that frustrated, that disorganized. Um, no, that you haven't got enough players there who are able to lead everyone and get everyone back on the same page. That's going to be a big cause for concern when you are having to rotate more and bring in younger players who need to learn from other players if you haven't got uh if you, if you haven't got the chance to control a game and have players to control it in different areas of the pitch then yeah like you you worry about how um consistent this team can be and i think what we're getting from york is it's probably going to be a bit of a roller coaster going on to the uh for the second half of the season yeah, with those under 21 minutes, I don't know yeah. what's going to happen with York. We're going to see them start to play some, some players that we have never heard of just to make up the minutes yeah. there. So they've and... played, they played a goalkeeper, they've played a centre-back um, in previous games. I, I can imagine they come in, but this is key areas where you, you want to make sure that the team are... If you're going to bring in these young players all at once and try and get these points early on you want to know that they're coming in playing alongside players who are like it doesn't matter who's next to me we're going to work out and we're going to make sure we stick to how we want to play and at the moment I I don't see that happening too well but we'll see how they see how they come back from this one I guess yeah I mean the next match is against Pacific at home again so it doesn't get any easier (laughs) for York especially since Pacific, we'll talk about a little bit, but Pacific are a bit of a wounded animal right now and they're going to want to bounce back very quickly. But uh, we'll move on to the second game, which is not, which is actually the Pacific game uh, against Cavalry. Uh, this one ended in a 2-1 win for Cavalry in Starlight Stadium. So a second game where the away team wins it. This one, a bit of a closer game, not a 4-0 thrashing. This one, um, 2-1 for Cavalry, goals... From Eric Kobza in the 36th minute goal and a very clever goal. Then Fraser Aird had a spectacular curling effort in the 44th minute to make it 2-0. Before Easton Ungaro brought it back 2-1 in the 72nd minute, giving Pacific a little bit of life, but it was not to be, and the final score was in favor of Cavalry. 
Mike, this match, I mean, Pacific going into this, we, we've talked about, you know, this is Pacific. Do they have the sign of champions? Can they go game after game after game and keep getting those results, keep grinding those results? And for the most part, they've been able to do that. And that's why they've been the favorites to uh, be sit atop of the table by the end of the season. But this one felt a little bit different. Uh, Pacific are really known to, I think, start very slowly at home. They usually have a lot of confidence and stuff, and 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 they like to play right off the front foot. Uh, but in this one, they started slow, and cavalry kind of crept underneath them and got under their skin. What are your thoughts on the on the beginning stages of this match? Yeah, it started off yeah really quick. I mean, Kieran Basket called into a fantastic save from Maya Bevan, like almost immediately. And the cross came in, great save to keep it out, and you thought, oh, this is uh. This could start quite uh, quite well, and uh, this could be a really exciting one for um, uh, for the neutrals especially. And it goes up the other end, and TMG goes and misses at the back post from a cross coming in, and which he should have easily put away with his head. And but why? I don't know how he missed that. And you thought, wow, this is open. This game's going to just flow, and we're going to have chance after chance. And but cavalry go into these games knowing like they they're set up we need to get a goal but we need to defend and frustrate and that's what um james merriman needs to work out with his team he said it before in um, sort of his press conferences teams are going to come and they're going to try and disrupt that's going to be their first their first part of their game plan is disrupt pacific and then see what we can get especially when they go to um to starlight stadium and they need to learn how to deal with that and how to keep the ball moving. Because when Pacific can keep the ball moving and keep the game flowing, they create chances. But Cavalry were so good at just slowing everything down, slowing every attack Pacific were um, able to try and build that they just got frustrated and it played into Cavalry's hand. I think there's two teams trying to play opposing styles of football um, and only one of those could win. And Cavalry's came out the better in this one. Yeah, and especially in that first half, I was surprised really with the confidence the Cavalry came out with. But yeah, they executed their plan uh, very, very well in that first half and in, in disrupting, like you said, Pacific. And I think it was a deserved uh, lead when they scored that goal. A little bit fortunate, I think very clever from Meyer Bevan in that, yes, it was a deflection, but he didn't go for the ball. And when he was in offside position, so technically he wasn't part of the play. Yeah. And then that allowed Cubs to go from underneath him, run around him, and then go mm. and latch onto that ball. So, you know, as a striker, I would assume your instinct is always to run after a ball <laughs> yeah. and and and, ha- and like chase it down almost like a dog. But he was very clever in, in knowing I'm offside, I'm not gonna play it. Yeah. And then he allowed that to go and, <laughs> and Cubs to have that opportunity. So I think that was very clever from Meyer Bevan mm. in that. But uh yeah, sometimes, like we said in the Forge game, sometimes you need a little bit of luck to help you out when you're playing really well uh, and you deserve to be on top. And I think that they did. They did deserve to mm-hmm. be on top uh, through that first half performance. And for for Pacific, they had chances. It wasn't like, you know, it, it, like in the Forge where Cavalry were sort of steamrolling them, they had chances. TMG had that one at the beginning. We'll talk about his the one at the end, very end before the final whistle as well. Um there was a, a pen, the penalty shout. There was two penalty shouts. One was given. Um, the one for Reed, 
or sorry, the one that happened after Reed had a sitter mm. that basically he was the pass came to him. He was sort of alone in the box for like half a second and he got caught underneath his foot and that allowed the defender to come through and, and, and block it. But then they got a penalty afterwards. It felt like that for me encapsulated a bit of just Pacific were a bit hesitant throughout the match. Mm. They were just not when that, that their usual rhythm, it felt like there was a little bit off. What did you, did you feel the same sort of way? with how Pacific were playing. And even though they were getting chances, it just, it wasn't, I mean, even Eastern Ngaro had a couple of chances for his, before his goal. Did you feel like it was just that kind of night for Pacific? Yeah, it felt like they they were sort of on the edge throughout this game. as sort of this tight rope of sort of um, just keeping their nerve. And I think once the goals went in, um, towards the end of that first half, you could see them really like, Playing in a really like they, they just were really agitated. Bradley Vliet slipped on the ball and chance and chances. Cavalry gained more and more opportunities and kept going at them. I mean, Indigni nearly scores this goal within seconds of the second half starting. You just think, uh, I, I, can Pacific actually cope with this? Like they they mm. seem like they were so frustrated by what's happening that. They weren't playing like the players we know that they are. They were at the top of the league for a reason. They have quality, like, such good quality and they have the ability. But the, the players were playing like shadows of themselves at times. Um, they did then get back into it. I think that scare so quickly maybe sort of sparked something in that was probably said at halftime. Of like, okay, no, yeah, we need to we need to get back to what we play, what we do best because this game could run away from us before we know it. Um, and they got back into it, but you've got to, you've got to, like you say, you've got to give credit to Cavalry. They made it so hard that it did look like the games we see, like you've seen Pacific play, haven't you? Where they free flowing, I'm Salou, so good to watch. Adonijah Reed, Josh Hurd, just with so much pace and movement and um, Aparicio is so great on the ball. But at the moment, for you, do you feel like it just looks like they're trying to, everything looks like they're trying so hard, whereas it used to be so comfortable? Yeah, I do think so. And mm. I think that's maybe where hesitation comes through yeah. again, where the hesitation is what is the best optimal mm. thing to do right now? And they're kind of yeah. overthinking it. And, you know, something that uh, Vanny Sartini, the, the Whitecaps coach, said to me uh, on a day of training, said my my job is for players i don't want them to think i want them to decide i don't want them to think about what they have to do i want them to just know what they have to do and decide to do it Mm. and not waste that extra precious time thinking about oh what should i do what should i do because that's where you lose the ball that's where you make a mistake because the game is is decided on fractions of a second at that time and i felt like for pacific they're overthinking they're thinking too much on the ball maybe because of the standard that they set for themselves Possibly, that yeah. they're trying to, you know, keep, keep, uh, keep that on and, and keep reaching it and, and trying to maintain it and sustain it. And obviously you can't do that across the entire season, across all games, especially with uh, the opponents that you're going against. The league is so, so level. There's so much parity between teams. And I feel like maybe that's playing into it where, they are overcomplicating it, and I mean, and, and and you can see sort of how much mentality is playing into it because, you know, back to back games they've missed back to back penalties, mm-hmm. and that in itself isn't that big of a deal, 
But I think that's a bit telling on how maybe how much pressure is on these players to step up and perform. Josh Hurd, you know, the captain, he his penalty we talked about last week, he rushed it. And this one, it felt like Manny was just too like a little nervous going up to it and just skies it. And usually when a player skies it, unless he slips, it's because of how nervous he is, I, mm. I think. Because if you don't get it off target, if you sky it, you're just trying to hit it as hard as you can. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, just to try to make try to make sure that it goes in. <laughs> and I think that kind of, yeah, encapsulates how Pacific right now are are feeling the pressure of champions or of champions elect. And, you know, the pack is now wanting to catch up and, mm-hmm. and, and put that pressure on you. And yeah, I think we're starting to see a little bit of how Pacific are not necessarily crumbling under it, but maybe there's a few cracks forming in this mm-hmm. one, but yeah, I mean, and, and for cavalry, it, it, I think it couldn't have come against, uh, it couldn't have come at a better time for cavalry. Because Cavalry now, on the same amount of games with 13, they are four points behind. Yeah. So the gap isn't massive anymore as it was once was a couple of weeks ago, where it was it, it was like seven or eight and it could have been more. Now it's down to four and Cavalry are within reaching distance or Pacific are within reaching distance of Cavalry. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it, it, for Pacific, maybe that was playing on their minds a little bit. I don't know, but Cavalry came in with a great game plan. They executed it really well, and they came away with a result. Um, so I think overall it was a, a very good match from their perspective. Yeah, um, they looked fantastic um, throughout. And what's been really good, I mean, Cobbs has come in for Charlie Trafford there in the midfield and fitted really well. Jesse Daly's been fantastic breaking up play and making it really hard for other teams to um, to adapt and to try and get their game flowing. And Dan Klump's been brilliant, but I really have enjoyed um, Camden. I thought he's been a really good addition at left-back and Fraser Ed, you said, got that screamer of a goal. I mean, he's going to be a regular now with Alacon um, being out for a few months with his injury. And they, they, they just look really comfortable as a group now and that front four as well picks itself for cavalry um and you know they've got a nice mixture of attacking um quality different styles of play and Maya Bevan knows where the goal is so I mean you've got they're looking really strong and I don't know I mean we've spoken about this sort of this gap that Pacific have had over York and Forge for so long because those have been the front the top three and maybe we've just not really been like cavalry sort of come under the radar here it's actually like we haven't played yeah. as many games and so we're catching up now like we're, we're we're in a bit of a groups so, um yeah they've really thrown themselves right into the uh right into the mixing pot for it yeah they they really like snuck mm. in underneath everyone's <laughs> noses with that one but i mean that's i'm sure that's what they wanted they didn't want anyone to notice that the charge yeah. they were making until they were right there so yeah, I mean, yeah, Fraser Aird, I think, you know, he was player of the match, uh, in my opinion. He played really well. Yeah. Uh, I think that, yeah, I've always liked him as a, the, as a right back slash right wing back when they play the 3 for 3 I think his his connection with Ali Musi brings the best out of both of them. And yeah. I think that was definitely the case in this match as well. And now we're finally starting to see the like, Tommy Wilden Jr. has a team that isn't only a Tommy team in the fact that they're very defensively robust, very disciplined, very physical, hardworking, but also now they have some 
added players that are exciting that mm. can sort of turn the game on on their head. And Tigney's one of them. Ali Musi's another. Meyer Bevan even is mm. is 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 becoming that kind of player profile where he can carry a team on his back almost. And I feel like that has brought Calvary to a new level where I wouldn't say that they played boring before, but it was sort of one-dimensional at times. Mm. Now they have new new flares about them that kind of yeah. keep them more interesting and they keep them more exciting to watch and more difficult to predict for yeah. uh, opposing teams. And I think this is a game where they came in guns blazing when Pacific might not have been expecting them to do so, or if, if they were expecting it, they weren't prepared for how much they yeah. went for it. So yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting if cavalry can make a late charge for that uh, I mean, first place position in the second half yeah. of the season. Yeah, I mean, you've got, like you say, that great selection. Just thinking, I mean, Joe Mason's coming back from injury, adding that to that different style of attacking player. And it'll be interesting to see how um, this Gareth Smith Doyle is the young player. He's probably going to get a bit, a bit more time each match now to add up their one mm. numbers. It'll be interesting to see how he continues to grow in the league. Yeah, yeah. And with Cavalry's next match at home against Ottawa, it gives them another uh, opportunity to to keep the pace on and and keep yeah. right behind Pacific. Now that's, you know, three wins in a row for Calvary. If they can win against Ottawa, have, make it four. And yeah, they, mm-hmm. they continue on this form. Pacific are going to have to look over their shoulders because they, yeah, we were moving to Pacific in, in, in the future. I mean, this is their first loss in, in how many games in one, two, three, <laughs> yeah, six games, good. seven games, yeah. I think now. Um, no more even. No, yeah, it was April 30th, their last league loss against Forge at home. Yeah. Since then, it's been wins and draws. So first loss in a while. It's not panic stations, I think, for them. They still are ahead. They still have uh, a four-point lead, not as big as it used to be, but still it's a lead. Hmm. For you, do you think that Pacific have to maybe go back to the drawing board a little bit and not necessarily in terms of their play style but maybe in terms of their mentality they try to calm things down try not to overcomplicate things and go back to how they were playing at the beginning of the season where it felt more natural more instinctual rather than a bit forced and a bit panicky yeah i think what is going to be key for them going forward is not letting teams slow the game down so from themselves for their own point of view they're going to get knocked. They're going to get pushed over. Tactical fouls are going to be given all over the pitch against them to stop them getting a rhythm. And they just need to try and keep keep themselves composed, get up and quickly get that game rolling, get the ball rolling again. Um, they need to be need to just learn how to deal with the fact that teams are going to target them uh, in that sort of way. Um, the The style of play they've got on the ball and off the ball it's got them to where they are now. Like they're not going to change that. There's no need to change that. It's just how the game management side of making sure that that the ball is continuously rolling is going to be the, the what they need to learn to do under this extra pressure of teams focusing on slowing them down. Yeah. And next week they have, um, or I say next week, it's, uh, uh, we're recording this on Monday. <laughs> it's tomorrow. <laughs> It's a week going to be a very weird week of CPL yeah, action. Coast to coast for them, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, literally a coast to coast for them after uh, 
for uh, after Pacific did a coast to coast trip uh, <laughs> to Vancouver, which we'll talk about uh, right now, basically. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that's so we're gonna be a weird week of CPL. We'll figure out how to do a recap there. But yeah, Pacific yeah. have a have a tough game against Halifax. Halifax really good at home. Uh, mm. The pressure will be on them now that they slipped a little to make sure that they pick it right back up and and keep that lead because if if they lose one again and cavalry win against ottawa cavalry within a point and then the pressure becomes huge for mm. pacific so definitely this week is going to be very interesting for the for the title charge and the title battle moving on to our third game talking about halifax it's the vancouver against halifax game that ended 2-1 in favor of Vancouver, their third franchise victory, their second one at home. Goals from Gabby Batar in the 10th minute. Then an immediate response from Halifax in the 11th minute through Diago Coimbra. And then in the 56th minute, Cantav, with his first goal for the for the club in VFC, made it 2-1. And that's the way it stayed. Yeah, you were there, Felipe, weren't you? You got to, uh, you got to enjoy this one. Um Halifax, obviously, like you say, coming off a four-game unbeaten run over to Vancouver. Did did it really seem like um, Afshin Gottbeard understood what Halifax were going to bring in this game and that Vancouver had this game plan set up to frustrate them? And that's that's where they got their um where they got their chances to get on top in the game. Yeah. I think, you know, I I understand that a lot of people have given some flack to Afshin Gottbeard because of his sort of sometimes tactical choices and where to put players in, in certain positions. But I think he executed this game plan to near perfection mm. in the way that he frustrated Halifax. And I think a large part of that was because of how Kantav is. Kantav is another player that is hardworking, that is willing to press. And with that added piece that I think they were missing because players before in that position weren't really doing all that much hard work like mm. Gael Sandoval we'll talk about in a little bit <laughs> now Vancouver were able to press as a unit and they were pressing in this really really compact 4-1-4-1 that took Lorenzo Caligari pretty much out of the game for about 65 minutes I'd say and that was crucial because we've we've mentioned it before. Caligari is the linchpin for Halifax. He's mm. the one that connects the defense to the attack. He's the one that starts pretty much everything off usually, especially mm. since Halifax like to to build up from the back. He's the one that goes and picks the ball up from the center backs, puts his head up, and then pings the pass to start the attack. That's mm. usually the way that Halifax like to build and like to attack. And the way that Vancouver set up, so it was always they had pretty much a triangle around where Calgary liked to be. Elliot Simmons pushed up to be that fourth in the line uh, and, and the sort of attacking line behind Sean to put pressure on the defense, to put pressure on Lorenzo Caligari and really frustrated the way that Halifax liked to build up. It was very disruptive and it really helped them a, a lot because not only did it disrupt Halifax, but because Halifax were in disarray, it allowed them to win the ball back early and then attack on the front foot. And that's something we haven't really seen from Vancouver in in matches. I mean, Ashton has said that he wants his team to be quick, counterattacking players that go forward and 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 there and that's why he has some of these pacey players to hit on the break and and punish teams for for gifting possession. 
we haven't really seen that all that much. I mean, in the Forge game, they literally took advantage of two mistakes uh, <laughs> to to get that victory. But in this one, it didn't feel like it was sort of mistakes under no pressure. This mm-hmm. one felt like they forced some mistakes from Halifax, won the ball back early, and then went and threatened and attacked. And uh, yeah, I think it was uh, that um, the Batar goal. I know you you want to, to mention something that happened <laughs> yeah. in the buildup of it, but uh, uh, after uh, that, that 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 incident, uh, the buildup <laughs> itself was very 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 fluid, very good. That switch, that pass across, that patience again, Cantav, the way that he was. A lot of younger players, when they get that ball on the left hand side, they might shoot and it gets blocked, and the chances done. But he waits, and and then it, the cross across, Bitar taps it in. That was a very well-worked, mature goal from mm. Vancouver. And it was a mature performance, I think, overall from them. Uh, I think the defense did really well to to sort of repel the attacks, especially in the second half. They were very organized and disciplined. I think James Cameron had a much improved performance from, from his performance uh, last game. And overall, yeah, I think it was a very good game from a Vancouver perspective. Um, before we jump to to the Halifax perspective, I want you to talk about, because I didn't notice this in game, or I didn't remember it in game, but wanted, I wanted you to talk about <laughs> what happened in the build-up <laughs> to the, to the Batar goal. I mean, I've got a picture here that I'm looking at and, uh, from the video. I just paused it, and the ball's chipped up. Minjai Quack's got the ball on the left. He's being forced back and he's he's getting hurried by three Halifax players and he stumbles. The referee's, I'll say, four yards away, <laughs> like staring at it. And it Minjai Quack goes down and performs this incredible drag back with his right hand. <laughs> and <then laughs> but there's just, I mean, rolling it now. And two players put their hands up uh, from the Halifax side, but Everything just carries on. No one's particularly bothered by it. And Billion comes out, mis- makes a mistake with the header, misjudges the ball. And uh, eventually, Vijay quacks up there again and sets up the goal for Bitar. But it was astounding. Like, I mean, they're calling for a, um, offside, which Bitar wasn't. Um, he timed his run really well. Um, but yeah, I, I have literally no idea how uh, the referee stood there watching, doesn't see it. And the other players around it don't seem to make too much of a like a call for it. It just seems like I had to watch it back because I was just I was in disbelief. I was like, I'm sure I've seen that, but I can't be the only one. <laughs> like <laughs> there yeah. are people right there. Um, nothing was said on the commentaries. So, yeah, I had to watch back, watch back the highlights. But yeah, I, I just couldn't believe that 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 got away with it. <laughs> Yeah, and and you know you mentioned it, and I was confused. I was like, "What do you mean, that handball?" I was trying to go through the play in my head, but everything I was thinking was after the switch. And then looking back on the replay and seeing it, I was stunned because, like you said, the ref didn't see it, and like one or two hands went up, but no one was protesting. No, really. And if that was me, I would think I would be in the in the ref's face after that. I'd be like, are you kidding me? He just dragged it back with his hand. It wasn't like, oh, it hit his hand and it was like, uh, you know, there was a bit of of uh, ambiguity around it. It was it was a clear, yeah. deliberate handball used to drag yeah. back the ball. Incredible. The line, just check back now where the line's been. He's got the perfect view. Like the referee may say, yeah, like the Minjai quite blocked my view. I can't see his hand. 
the assistant referee's staring right at it and he's walking. It's not like he's sprinting along trying to keep up with play. He's walking along and saying, oh, I just I just couldn't believe. Okay, I mean it's very fortunate for Vancouver there. Yeah, yeah. But you know, even despite that, uh yeah. still a very well worked <laughs> opening goal. And, but I, mean, um, I wanted to ask you, um, Felipe, I I went into this game, no Callum Irving. Their goal, um, fortunate goal, as much as we wanted to say, Halifax comes straight back into it and score. And were you thinking, watching this team, I mean, Callum Irving saved them so many times. This is a really young team. I mean, Rocco Romeo is sort of leading them at the age of 23. And the fact is still young. Was there around the stadium, around the fans. Do you see anything about this team that made you think, oh, are they? is this going to turn and all of a sudden Halifax are going to now dominate this game? You know what? I think uh, for credit to the fans, they got behind Vancouver immediately when that goal went in. It didn't go silence. Um, they kind of cheered them, cheered them on and said, come on, boys, let's get back. Let's get back, yeah. which was really nice to see. And yeah, I mean, there was definitely some worried faces as soon as the lineups came out and saw Callum Irving wasn't there, he was unfortunately uh, under the weather. He got sick the day before, I believe, with mm. something akin to like a stomach bug. Yeah, okay. But uh, but no, uh, you know, credit to Vancouver. That's this is. I think this is what for me was huge as a turning point for Vancouver, because with a side that doesn't have much experience and a side that doesn't have much maturity. After scoring a goal, conceding it immediately, you know, the old saying is that's when you're the most vulnerable. Yeah. That could have such a profound impact on your mentality, on the way you play. It could fracture the buildup. It could, you know, it could crumble the defense. And Halifax could have gone on and scored a second and a third and made it 3-1 mm-hmm. because of that moment, immediate momentum switch. But... Vancouver didn't allow that to happen. They went and they continued to play immediately after. And they continued to threaten immediately after. They trusted in the game plan. They trusted in in what the coach was saying. They trusted in each other and in themselves. And for that, it was what for me was so impressive was that they held strong. And we've seen times and times before with this Vancouver squad that whether it be like a five 10 15 minute period they switch off and that's where teams go and punish and punish and punish and punish and Mm. that's how ottawa punished them in that five nil that's how pacific punished them in that six three and in this game there wasn't that and i was like weirdly proud of the team for that that (laughs) that they uh that they didn't allow that to happen then they went back and then and they played well, and they were the better team throughout the 65, even right after that Coimbra chance uh, goal. And yeah, I think overall it was a it was a great performance from them from that perspective and, and the maturity. For Halifax, it was I mean it, I think it's cheap to say it was just a bad day at the office, but I think it was more that they just played right into Vancouver's hands. I think mm-hmm. Gotby set a trap up, and Halifax didn't really know what did Elsa do? And we've talked about this before that Halifax play really, really good, exciting football, but they don't really have all that much of a plan B. Mm. And when a team sets up a, a trap like that to eliminate your best player in Caligari, you have to have a plan B. 
Mm-hmm. And it didn't really feel like that. They, they tried to go a bit more direct in Halifax. They tried to go in behind with a little bit of, of success. I mean, that's how the Coimbra girl goal came through. But yeah. aside from that, it didn't really feel like Halifax knew how to deal with the pressure that Vancouver were, were putting on them and how to attack in a different way that they rely so heavily on mm-hmm. Caligari starting it all. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's a... It is a, a an off day for them, but I think it, it definitely is a wake-up call for them to try to figure out what can be a plan B if a team figures out what plan A is. I don't know if that's how you saw Halifax's performance in this match. Yeah, I think, I mean, looking at these stats as well sort of really highlights what you're saying there. Um, I mean, Halifax has 66% of the possession. They made 486 passes, 81% pass accuracy. So they had the ball, they were keeping it, and they were trying to dominate the game. They had 13 shots and only three on target. So, like, and if you look at the Vancouver side, 11 shots, three on target. So both teams were just equally as dangerous in front of goal. Vancouver took their chances. Um, they only on 34% possession. They made 200 they attempted 252 passes almost half the amount that Halifax made that is 67 percent accuracy so they were giving the ball away they were just going they they saw what Halifax were doing and said we don't need the ball like we've got but you've got runners like Sean Hundle up front who's going to run off those channels and be a target man in a different type of way not just lump it up to my head and I'll try and knock it down his movement's fantastic and with Bittar and Kantar they seem to really have they seem to growing in what they want to do and having a little bit more success with it now. And that's come with three points today. Well, today. Yeah. <laughs> and the game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, and what was, what was super, I mean, why I say 65 minutes is that around the 65th or 70th minute, it was pretty even in terms of possession. It was, I mean, the, the first half possession stats were 56 Halifax, 44 uh, for uh, Vancouver. But in the second half, in the last 15, 20 minutes, I don't know if it was the plan all along or option just said we need to hold it down. But mm-hmm. then uh, eventually Anthony White was in the Bakare center defensive mid position in that double pivot, <laughs> yeah. which is incredible that now I associate that double pivot with Bakare. But <laughs> Anthony White was was that replacement. But in the, around the 65th minute, they switched to a back five and they were pretty much defending with a 5-4-1. Mm-hmm. And that is what allowed Halifax to grow and grow into it. Second half possession stats, 75% possession for Halifax yeah. in that second half to Vancouver's <laughs> 25. So they allowed Halifax to get the ball. But it's like you said, we don't need it. We trust in the plan. We trust that we can defend and, and repel any attacks that came in. And Halifax were looking really, really dangerous at the death. But they did just enough to to hold on and and to clear the ball, kick the ball out, clear, hoof it up. It didn't matter where the ball was going as long as it was away from the box and away from the goal. So I think even in that aspect, you know, you know, park the bus football isn't the most exciting, but nice. um, it works. It could be it risky. It could be risky though. Like it's may it, like this possibly is. It won't work every week. <laughs> no, of course. Yeah. But so, um, but they did make. They seem to make the best of. I mean. Like you say it's interesting. I I still think they need to bring in someone. I mean, we'll talk about their transfer dealings. They need someone alongside Elliot Simmons, though. I think that's more adapted to being a central midfielder. Um, someone who's, I mean, White and Bakare now they they show their work. They'll do the work 
that this position needs uh, off the ball. But someone just to help Elliot Simmons on the ball as well um, will be, would I think would really benefit them, especially with the attacking players that they've got who like to get hold of the ball. Yeah, I think so. I think I mean that's definitely in a position I think that uh, Vancouver are looking for and yeah. are probably well on their way to getting some deals done. Um, and I guess we'll talk about it now that we're talking about uh, <laughs> future things. You know, Vancouver, I, I from this performance, it looked more balanced from them. Good defense, good attack, good midfield, where before it was either they had a good defense, but not a good attack, or they had a good attack, but not a good defense. This felt like the most complete balanced performance from mm. them. And I think a lot of that has to do with the experience that they have added. Even Kantav is just one player, and he's not even in the defense. But still, the, the his experience, his character, you can see how he leads the team from that front line has helped so much. And I asked this to Afshin after the game, and he said the exact same thing, that his character as a human being even is one that they have been needing, they've been desperate for. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, he had a goal this game, the winning goal. He could have had an assist last game. His impact is being felt both on and off the pitch already. And... Potentially, they could add another experienced mm. player, one that the CPL has uh, seen before, one that Pacific fans have been very, very acquainted with, are very familiar with, and this might hurt them a lot, as Alejandro Diaz has been sort of confirmed, sort of rumored. <laughs> it's very odd. Vancouver very tight-lipped when asked about it at the game. Uh, but it looks like it's definitely, it's probably going to happen maybe by the end of this week. So if you have Alejandro Diaz, if you have Mikel Cantav, you now have two experienced forwards in that forward line that can help take the pressure off of Sean Hundell and Gabby Batar as the ones that are pretty much before were the only two that were really helping the attack. And they now have a very, very, very strong front line. Like, honestly, mm-hmm. I think up there with one of the most dangerous ones in the league, uh, you know, having a former golden boot like Alejandro Diaz, a golden boot contender in Sean Hondal, Gabby Batar is super influential creatively. Same with Miko Kantav. Like, that that front line can do damage. And they can bring an experienced center defensive mid. And maybe even if they have the opportunity to bring another experienced center back in, you know, to... I personally think Pele Martinez would would drop for that uh, mm. to have a better uh, center back come in with more experience. And I think Vancouver can sw- turn this around and recover from the sort of poor start they had. And I think my question to you is if, if, if they bring these players in, if they bring these additions in, do you think that they have the time to be able to recover for the playoffs and, and, and make it into that play- those playoff positions? I mean, it's definitely the time. I mean, they're three points behind Halifax in fifth. Um, their goal difference isn't going to help them. <laughs> um, chasing back that on minus 10 at the moment. So, I mean, there's plenty of time. I mean, the, the, the issue will be Atletico are still chasing a spot. Um, so who have got a couple of point advantage on them, who who, um, who we'll talk about in the next game. Um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, Alejandro Diaz... It's going to be interesting to see uh, where he's at, I guess. He went to Norway, got nine, uh, six goals and three assists in 11 games, really settled. And then 2023 started and he barely played, didn't get a goal. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see 
uh, where he's at. He's obviously got quality. We know that he can obviously find the back of the net in the CPL. But I guess the the, the biggest question is going to be how quickly can he settle um, and how does Avshin got be rotate these players? Because you've got three three starters in this game who have put themselves out as starters. Like it's not that they're performing poorly and they brought in Alejandro Diaz by going, no, we need to replace this player. Alejandro Diaz is a player who's, it seems, oh, he's come available. Yeah, we can't say no. Let's get him. <laughs> um, so that seems to be the, what I'd imagine um, is going through Vancouver's mind. They, they have other areas they need to address, but this opportunity came up and they've taken it. Now it's going to be how they make sure that he fits into their system, how they're playing, but also how they keep everyone rotated, fresh and happy, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, I think the way I personally, if I had the reins, I think especially because Diaz likes to drop a lot, I would play Diaz as a second striker almost, mm-hmm. and have Gabi and Cantav on the on the two wings with um with Sean Hundle as a nine in the four two three one. Uh, that might be a little bit too much attacking heavy, but I th- I would <laughs> love to see that uh yeah. being played, and you know if they get him in, that's one Mexican in. And one Mexican out as Sandoval looks pretty much all but confirmed yeah. to have left by what I'm assuming is mutual agreement, uh, mm-hmm. contract termination. He wasn't in the last two 18s for the last two match days. And on the day uh, he was uh, on his Instagram, I checked it. Uh, Vancouver FC was not in his Instagram bio anymore. <laughs> and right. he was golfing. Uh, <laughs> just a few hours before the game in Mexico. Uh, when I asked Afshin afterwards, he said the club will make a statement, but we're trying to build a team that embodies the identity we're trying to form for this club. And without saying it, he sort of said, and he doesn't represent that, and he yeah. doesn't align with that, which yeah. fair enough. He has, I, you know, he came in with a, a lot of hype and he hasn't shown up it at all, really. He had maybe one good game. Uh, but aside from that, yeah, I think it's it's best for both parties that they leave. And I think, yeah, if you ask any Vancouver fan, they will happily take Alejandro Diaz <laughs> over our yeah. guy Sandoval. Yeah, so hopefully Sandoval does, you know, finds a club where he can connect better in, in future endeavors. But yeah, definitely the best uh, case scenario for both teams. But moving to Halifax in the future, they're still without an away win. They far- mm-hmm. finally started to get some wins on their belt, but all only at home. Patrice Geyser, after the game, didn't want to make excuses. He didn't want to say that the travel was something that affected them because every team has to travel to them, which is true. Yeah. But it still feels like something is missing, something is lacking from Halifax in their performances recently away from home that even at the beginning of the season where they were getting draw after draw after draw after draw after draw, yeah. They had good away performances. They just can turn them into wins. Now the away performances aren't as great as maybe it was at the beginning of the season. What do you think is missing from Halifax? And what are do you think if travel's a factor of there's something else that is refraining them from being able to put the performances out that they do at home where they've gotten all of their wins this season? Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, travel's not fun, is it? Uh, it's a long way to go from Halifax to Vancouver. Um, so, And it's something new to him. It's new to a lot of these players, I think. I mean, you've know, you got the players coming up from sort of League One Ontario that have come with him. Like, th- this this isn't 
a, a, a normal <laughs> sort of normal way trip for a number of these players could well possibly play into that um again i th- is i think it's only a small part and he's not making excuses as you say um but i think this is all just um part of it all everyone there's there's so much new in this team so the travel's new to a lot of them the coach is new to a lot of them the system's new to a lot of them playing on this on the artificial pitches <laughs> they got a very different um playing surface over in halifax maybe they've become more comfortable on there so when they go to these other other games maybe maybe the pitch is a little bit different for them now after um what they do at home is I, th- I think they're just they are just a team that are they're going to be fun to watch at times. They're going to be very frustrating, I guess, um, to watch, um, especially for their fans when things aren't quite ticking. But they just look like a team who are evolving um, into what into this system that Patrice guys are setting up. And away from home, maybe teams go into those games set up a little bit more confidently against Halifax, rather than a little bit more cautiously, maybe when they travel, um, which may play a part to it as well. Yeah, and I mean, uh, moving forward, we mentioned before that tomorrow they literally have they 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 had to fly right back home oh, all man. across Canada, yeah. like an away to host <laughs> exactly to host uh, Pacific, and Pacific have to travel all the way over yeah. as well. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if some players shared the trip together yeah. uh, from <laughs> each team. Uh, but yeah, it's you know that's a huge part of that. A lot of people don't realize how much travel plays into uh this league because you know i think that the travel from halifax to pacific is one of the longest in world football i think there might be one in russia that's longer yeah probably but it's like up there in the top three yeah and now both teams are having to travel from british columbia to yeah to halifax which is crazy (laughs) uh so it's definitely gonna be an interesting battle tomorrow to see how uh each team goes on after an exhausting Travel, but yeah, for Halifax, it's a home game. They, mm-hmm. I don't know if maybe saying that they should be favorites is is maybe a disservice uh, to Pacific. I think it's probably pretty even. Uh, but yeah, they, I think they, they have to try to do their best to get these performances at home because they're away form when it's if it's been lacking like it has been, then to ensure that they're they're there and thereabouts in the playoffs, scene, they have to make sure that they make their home or fortress. So it's going to be a, a very interesting game tomorrow. But uh, moving on to our fourth and final game, it was the Ottawa versus Valor game. And a 2-0 for Ottawa. Goals from Bassett from the penalty, penalty spot in the 25th minute before Zach Verhoeven got a goal in the 93rd minutes in a game that could have easily been a forge York scoreline, a four or five nil because goodness me, Ottawa had so many chances to score credit to Yesley. I think Yesley had a fantastic match. He made some big saves, but I think more of it was Ottawa were so wasteful, but before we get too ahead of ourselves, let's start (laughs) with the beginning. Ottawa flew out the gates very very strong this was i think immediately within the first few minutes we knew okay so this is the ottawa who has shown up today they were very aggressive physical they were pressing they were playing really really well in possession and it felt like valor you know were kind of taken by surprise what were your thoughts on the opening stages of this match 
Yeah, I mean, we keep seeing Ottawa now going out like from that first, from the first whistle. We're like really quick, really aggressive to start, but I just find Val like Valor recovered from that. Rel- I think relatively quickly, considering what you would expect. Like with a team going out that quickly, you think, okay, maybe this will put Valor on the back foot for a while. But I feel like they got back into that. They got a bit more comfortable, and. Um, they 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 started to conduct the play a bit, and then Ottawa were forced into some of these longer passes that they were, they were trying to do. And Valor defend well. They've got a very defensive midfield. They've got decent defenders. Um, adding the Brienne back from it like now in that fullbacks, they've got pace on both sides at the back as well from their fullbacks to get forward and get back as well. So I felt that Valor get got back into this game and started to try and be the the team that dictate what was happening. But Ottawa just so comfortable in defence. I mean, as mentioned, Espejo suspended after his red card against Pacific, but that centre of defence just looked really comfortable and the midfield in front of them, they just protected it. And Valor were going forward with more hope than sort of uh, clinicism. Yeah. I think that was also another good thing that Ottawa did is that Ottawa were really, really good in clogging up the middle of the pitch and mm. then forcing Valor to go wide, forcing Valor to do all of those crosses that they were doing. Yeah. But their center backs were dealing with everything. Yeah. The service wasn't fantastic, uh, but Ottawa defended them really, really mm. well, regardless. I, I find it hard you say that, like the, the quality of the cross wasn't great. There's a, I find it such a mix because, I mean, they must have thrown it. Like I, I lost count of how many crosses have come in. Like, I haven't gone to check the stats, but there were so, so many. And some were poor. Some were like lofted really high and easy for the goalkeeper. But there's plenty of decent crosses as well. But the thing that I'm finding with Valor is no, there's no one attacking like the ball. No one's in the box and no one's getting forward going, right, I'm going to make this run. I know the ball's going to go there and I'm going to make sure I'm there for when it arrives. Every time the ball gets wide, everyone's like... Oh, what kind of cross is he going to play? Like they're acting like the defenders as well, not really prepared for what's going to happen. Whereas you find other sides now, when they get if they're going to use this wing play, which Valor like to use, hmm. the players in the middle know the type of cross they should be expecting, and I don't think Valor know that. No, and yeah, there was a disconnect in there, like mm-hmm. how you said, and and really, like as much as Valor were getting a foothold into the match, and after that fast start from Ottawa. It just didn't feel like they were going to threaten all that much. As much as they had possession, as much as they were kind of pinning Ottawa back, every time they floated, they put a ball in and everything like that, even if the ball was pretty good, it just didn't feel like they were threatening. And mm. this is something we've talked about time and time again with Valor, that Valor just, it, you know, they're probably the team that when they go and attack, I feel the least confident in that they were, that they'll go and score a goal just because of what they have shown week in and week out of struggling. And and it's incredible because you have a player like Pacific Nyongabir who's so dangerous, mm. but almost feels like he has to take it on himself. He had that opportunity at the end of the, of the first half where he hit the post. Yeah. And that was, I think, the first shot on target from yeah. Valor in the entirety of the game. And yeah, it was, it was ridiculous how Valor even when they have that kind of possession when they are when they are on that front foot they don't really do much in the attack they're not mm. incisive in it and i was pretty disappointed with that because i think you know they they were they had a pretty decent game plan going out wide and 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 trying to put balls in and usually that's a pretty uh, 
uh, a pretty tried and tested way of trying to get opportunities and get chances, but it wasn't really falling for them. And then, you know, for, for Ottawa, they had their two new additions, right? They had yeah. Del Campo, um, the striker, and they had Zapatera, the experienced center mid, 38-year-old who has played in, I don't know, hundreds of La Liga games across yeah, his career and top flight of Spain. Um, I wanted to know about what you thought about their performances because I think when Ottawa puts Zapatera in, he's so, so calm on the ball. What do you expect of a player who's played, you know, 20 plus years of Spanish football? You, you're not going to be able to pressure him into making a mistake, are you? Yeah. He's just has way too much quality and experience in him. But they clogged up the middle so much that it was so easy in the second half, I feel, for Ottawa to defend Valor and Valor were throwing numbers forward. And that's where Ottawa were getting all those opportunities. Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah, out of curiosity, what do you think about um, Del Campo and Zapatero's performances for Ottawa, the new boys? Yeah, I mean, obviously Del Campo did the first half. Looked um, a great running mate for Sam Salter up front. Like he's got a lot of energy. Um, I mean, the commentator was saying he's not really played much for a while now because of the season's ending and um, things like that. So this was, uh, I mean, they were saying on one soccer, this is like their preseason for these two players getting 45 minutes each to get themselves up to speed. And I mean, Del Campo had some chances, um, some good movement. I think like he he showed that he could be. Um, uh, a dangerous striker with the, the way he's going to move. It'd be interesting to see how he continues to grow from that. Um, and his composure in front of goal, we'll have to see. Um, but he he adds uh, a good bit of energy up there so that we've, we've mentioned it a few times, haven't we, where it's often Sam Salter's the lone striker and everyone seems so far away from him. But I mean, Del Campo looks energetic and quick player who's going to get up. Um, and that, that could really benefit them. And when they went into that sort of second half, yeah, Zapater came comes in. And he's obviously knows the system. Um, he's an intelligent player, obviously. Uh, and he just yeah, just slotted straight in. The other players know they the other players know what that position is required, and Zapater knew as well. So he's gonna make it difficult and his qualities in in those positions. We'll have to see if games open up like how well he's going to be able to um, step straight in in a, in a game where they're not sitting back and controlling things. Um, it'll be interesting to see because um, I'm, not, I'm not sure how fit he is after like the gap mm. of the leash finishing and things like that, how long it's going to take him to get up. And that, I mean, <laughs> I, I definitely couldn't and I'm a little bit older than him, but <laughs> I mean, he's obviously a, a, an athlete, uh, to which I'm not. So, but still at that sort of age and coming into these games, into a new system, like how how um, how they're going to do that. It seems like he, he's he got the role, like he knows what's going to happen. He knows what, where he's going to come into. And I think that should make it a lot, lot more comfortable for him and much more comfortable for the players around him knowing oh, he's going to slot in. Like once he's fully up to speed, like physically, like that's they're, they're going to be very comfortable with what they got there, aren't they? Yeah. And I mean, let's be fair. He His nickname, El Toro, Lily, the ball. <laughs> yeah, the ball. You would think that with a nickname like that, that he's going to be a, a physical dominant yeah. midfielder you don't get that nickname for nothing so mm. hopefully when he is fit we'll see maybe more of that side of his game yeah. not just the cool calm collected pace setter in the in the middle of the pitch mm. um but yeah the, uh, i think pretty decent performances from them one one player on valor who did not have a, a good game i would definitely say and a player that we've spoken to before and we love mm. here on the show anthony novak 
gave away a, a pretty soft penalty. I think it was still a penalty nonetheless. Yeah. And that was when Valor were still on the front foot. And that just gave Ottawa that lifeline that they needed to impose themselves. And even after that, he was struggling to, you know, find that space. Like we were saying, crosses are coming in, coming in, coming in. But it wasn't, he was not on the same wavelength as the players who were putting the crosses in. And he just felt a little lost in the in the box there well yeah what were your thoughts on on his uh little bit of an abject performance yeah we've said it before haven't we in these games you can just tell he's just getting frustrated like he's just lonely i think on the pitch i mean he's barely gets a touch of the ball and one of the few chances he gets involved is while dealing with like while his team are dealing with a corner um the, the defensive line and yeah this gives it away um clear penalty he doesn't when he gets his hands up, he's like, oh, you're kidding me, more out of frustration than actually believing it wasn't a penalty. Um, and I, I just think he's, I mean, I've done this drum so many times. If people are sick of me, please give us a message to say this. But Kian Williams in the number 10 makes so much more sense. We saw yeah. this, we saw how they changed and become more threatening. It was Novak who was sacrificed for this um, for this change. Um, but Debrienne was put forward, and there's some of the rotations they had. So they had two wingers, a ten, and a striker, and all of a sudden they had more players around the box, causing problems. It were they weren't getting clinical chances again, but they were they were creating more chaos, and they were forcing Otto into more difficult challenges than they had been. And I think that's what they need because we talked about all these crosses coming in, and I say, yeah, players aren't making those runs and the strikers in the middle don't aren't on the same wavelength. But when you think about it, I was just saying that you've got two fullbacks pushing up, delivering these crosses. You've also got two wingers out there playing in crosses. That's like So each time you're missing out players in the middle. And if you haven't got a number 10, you've got these three centre mids on the edge of the box waiting. What chances your striker got? Like he's got two big confident central defenders who are very happy to deal with cross after cross. And he's trying to do that on his own. That's where I find a massive disconnect. But I mean, like I say, I've said this quite a few times now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And even if, you know, if they have basically four wingers putting in crosses, yeah. depending on which side, you can have one winger tuck in and try to go back post. So it can mm. kind of relieve a little bit of the pressure off Novak. Yeah. Because yeah, he's basically soloing it against two center backs and even at times yeah. like all four defenders. So it's yeah, definitely a tough ask, a tough night for Anthony Novak, yeah. but for Ottawa, before Zach Verhoeven came in and scored that goal, very well taken goal, and he's turning into probably one of the league's best <laughs> super subs, I think, yeah. with the amount of goals he has. I haven't checked his goal per minute ratio, but it's probably high probably up there. <laughs> yeah, reminds me of uh, Simon Betcher for the Whitecaps. Yeah. Um, but before that, Ottawa had some absolute mm. guilt edge opportunities to score that I can't believe that they missed. I mean, Sacco came in and he played, I think, really, really well up until yeah. the goal scoring moments. Yeah, the last I was, game. I felt like <laughs> I was just screaming at him, just saying, shoot, shoot. Why are you <laughs> dribbling in an open net in front of you? It was ridiculous. But yeah, no, it just Ottawa had so many chances to put it away, but Ryan Yesley made himself big, a couple of big saves as well. Um, I think he is quickly turning into one of the best goalkeepers yes. 
in the league. And I mean, yeah, he's he's not, he's he's young as well. Uh, so I think he's only going to be grow more and more into uh, into his position into the league. I think he's yeah he's mm. probably up there with one of the keepers of the year for me. But still, but nevertheless. To back yeah. up that, what you're saying about him, like he's got the most clean sheets in the league, but he's also faced the most shots. So it's not like he's just sat behind a team that aren't conceded, like who are keeping the ball and he's only getting called upon once or twice a game. He's regularly called upon and still pulling out yeah. these performances. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that's just, yeah, shows how much of a quality keeper he is. But yeah, I mean, Bassett also had a few opportunities. I think Bassett, it was another game where Bassett felt like he was more attacking. It didn't feel like yeah. he had to drop back as much because of the way that Ottawa were playing, where Valor were throwing numbers forward, so it allowed Ottawa to break. And Ollie, we saw last week against Pacific, when Ollie breaks, he's got some pace, and he's able to go through the lines and find that picture-perfect pass to set up a player. And and that should have happened <laughs> in this mm-hmm. game multiple times. But um, in the end, it was only uh, one goal for him. And Verhoeven luckily made a two nail so it looked yeah. a bit more uh to reflect the status of the game mm-hmm. but overall yeah ottawa especially in that second half dominated and uh and made it easy for them i think to yeah. win this match it was really interesting how they play i mean 40 percent possession in this game so they were letting valor have these chances we talked about how valor will get having the ball and they're trying to create but then it's just nothing happens towards the end i mean valor had eight shots and one on target with 40% possession, Ottawa had 17 shots, more than twice as many in that game, 10 on target, called yesterday into so much action. And there, there was just that there was the quality, it was the quality that you expect from Ottawa in transition, because that's what they're set out to do. They'll be organized and so comfortable. But what they were doing up until the final shot was was really clinical against um Valor. And it was yeah, really, really enjoyable to watch. And Obviously, till the 93rd minute, just a 1-0 game could go either way. So I think it was really exciting for the neutral watching this one as well. And some really, really good play from Ottawa. It's just, yeah, they didn't quite find the shooting votes for lots of lots of periods no. of this match. <laughs> yeah, and if you look at it, like, um, they had six big chances, Ottawa, and they missed four of them. Mm-hmm. And in the second half, you uh, Valor had 63% possession, but only two shots. Yeah. Well, Ottawa had 37% possession in the second half and had 10 shots. Yeah. So, yeah, it really just tells like Valor were for having possession, but to what end? For what? With exactly. no outputs. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like moving forward, it's same old Valor. Uh, yeah. You know, it just they have possession. They play well up until they get into the attacking third and then nothing really happens. And that, you know, on Saturday next week, they faced Forge at home, mm. and it might be another difficult match because now they're not going to get possession. We know Forge are going to impose themselves, so they're going to have even less chance to build up and, and try to threaten that box, which is something they've been struggling with throughout the season. Yeah. Do you what 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 do you think can happen with Valor to try to change this around? And and you can't be Keon Williams at number ten. <laughs> <laughs> I just I'm finding Phil DeSantos seems very set in all area aspects of what Valor are doing. We know exactly the type of thing they are. I just I feel he really needs to just start to try and introduce new ways of 
um, attacking. It can't always be. I mean, Baccaro and Librienne on the fullbacks have done really, really good stuff up until a point. But every single way that they're attacking seems to be capped. Like there's only a, like we everything has to go exactly like they like this way that we're hoping, or else the player like it's not going to work. Uh, we've got to get a bit lucky otherwise, or let's get a free kick that Gutierrez will have a good chance on on the edge of the box or thing. Like they he they just don't seem to have the, the sort of the the in possession sort of. I can't think of the right word, but the, the variety, the intelligence and the varieties that they could use. They don't seem to be using each player. Nyonga Bire in this one, so often he's running into dead ends because Ottawa know he's going to pick up the ball. He's on the half turn, right? Let's get three players in sort of around him. He's going to run into one of us because the players off of the ball aren't moving. They aren't finding those positions other than out wide. There's no movement. Those three midfielders, Dante Campbell, fantastic. He's done really well in lots of different areas, been put into different positions. He'll win the ball back throughout. Gutierrez again, Polisi again, really good. Have the opportunity to play those long balls or a shot from distance. But you can't just rely on, right, this player can do this, this player can do this. Let's hope they get in that position because they're not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It feels like it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's wasting uh, talent like Nyongabire, but it's frustrating to watch a player with his quality not be able to play to his fullest abilities because it feels like he sort of has to take it on himself at times. Mm-hmm. And I I want to see oh I want to see a way that Valor can attack with a bit more like you said variety, fluidity to get the best out of him because he is that X factor for them. He's the player that can turn and and get past one or two defenders and rip a shot and 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 nestle into the back mm-hmm. of the net but he needs the opportunity he needs that space and it feels mm-hmm. like valor at times are just going through the motions and they're attacking yeah. it's predictable and and he can't mm-hmm. really he, he needs to thrive off a bit of spontaneity of of some chaos because that's i think where he plays the yeah. best but yeah you I'll see be, it yeah. for many teams like that is it's what they're really lacking is being able to create these triangles in like half spaces and in the middle of the pitch where it's quick one touch passing and moving players around. They don't do that. They need one touch, open up, move across, one touch, open up, right. It's on the wing, get forward. Like it's, it's too often, yeah. it's too slow in the middle and too cautious. Pedestrian, mm. a little bit pedestrian in the way that they build up, definitely. Yeah. But for Ottawa, I mean, this is a, uh, a great result for them. Uh, scoreline doesn't show up, but I think especially in the second half, it was uh, very much yes. a more dominant display, even though they didn't have possession. Uh, now they go away from home on Wednesday to Cavalry. Do you think that, you know, we're talking, we talk about, you know, inconsistent teams. Ottawa's yeah. up there with one of the most inconsistent teams, which mm-hmm. Ottawa's going to show up today. Uh, which Ottawa do you think is going to show up against Cavalry? <laughs> do you think it's going to be uh, they'll give Cavalry a run for their money, or or do you think it's going to be a you know Cavalry win despite those results for Ottawa? I'm really looking forward to that one. I think that Cavalry, like we say, in great form and consistent. Ottawa maybe not, but I think from this performance, they can take so much confidence in the fact that how just how much they did without the ball like and with the little amount they had on the ball in comparison with Valor against the Valor side who are defensively very good and have been throughout this season and the fact that they are able to carve them open so many times and get these opportunities 
you just think on another day they'll take a lot more than they did um they did yesterday um I think it's great that they've got uh, Luke Singh back into the fence. That adds a bit more depth, especially of Espejo going out. So they've got players back from Gold Cup duty. Acosta's been fantastic at right back. Um, and you can see that they, they, they're they a lot more comfortable with who was on the pitch. They know exactly what they're playing and they know exactly how they're set up. And, they, and they've seen some great... Um, some great rewards from the, from sticking to the game plan in this match. So I, I think this is going to make the tie against Cavalry really, really interesting. Yeah, definitely a game that we're going to want to circle on your calendars. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> definitely to watch that one because it's going to be, it could go either way. And that's the kind mm-hmm. of, definitely as a neutral, <laughs> if you're not a fan of either of the teams, it's a neutral. That's the kind of game you want to tune in for. But that's it for our recap of match week 14. We're now going to move on to our player of the week. Mike, as always, I will let you start in what might be the most obvious player of the week in some <laughs> yes. time. Yeah, I very much chickened out and then <laughs> went with Taron Campbell. Uh, can't be too, there's no point trying to be too clever with uh, with hit, with that one of ours. And uh, yeah, Taron Campbell's a, a clear Clear player of the week um, from that and the hat trick. The fact that he's made his um, all round play was really decent as well, and he just looked very, very dang- back to his like best where it comes to being so dangerous in and around the box. Yeah, I mean, how can you not give a hat trick, <laughs> a hat trick hero, a player of the week nomination? <laughs> yeah, it it was yeah, it was pretty much like which one of us is gonna get the get yeah. Taron Campbell, and which other one is gonna have yeah. to. Look for somebody else. Yeah, I think yours but... is a little harder. You've got a few, quite a few players to pick from across the games, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I and I looked around and there's a couple of things. I think Fraser Air could have a shout. I think Gantav could have had a shout. But for me, just because of how... for uh, The reason I chose... So mine is Tristan Borges. The reason I chose Tristan is because he has been sort of like a passenger in recent games during the slump. Mm-hmm. And this was such an uptick in quality for him it was such a huge performance that it really called out to his performances you know at times last year and and in the first year of the cpl in, in uh 2019 where it really showed that he still has that quality in him that got him that move to europe initially mm-hmm. and yeah like for he created uh, three chances um could have had he had the assist he could have had more with that he had his goal. Yes, it was lucky. It was deflection, but still, he's getting more confidence. He played with more confidence. He was more involved. He took some of the pressure off Kyle Becker, which allowed Kyle Becker to play even better. And mm. I think overall, yeah, this was the best performance I've seen Tristan Borges have in maybe close to a year. So, mm. yeah, I think I, I was super impressed. And as someone who was, who was able to see him week in, week out and years prior, it was nice to see him be able to to put those performances that uh, at least I was used to seeing from him in years gone by. So yeah, I think it mm-hmm. was uh that one was a easier choice for me uh, in the end. But that's all for this week's podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Make sure to follow us once again 
on Twitter, Instagram, and threads. So you can give us your thoughts on each of the week's episodes. And if you have any interesting facts, stats, or questions about this week's games, feel free to let us know. And if you have any suggestions for players, analysts, pundits that you want us to talk to for future special episodes or interviews, let us know. We're also looking to do uh, more club profiles in the future after the success that the York United one had. But until next time, I'm Filippo Ojejo. And I'm Mike Rice. And this has been Coast to Coast FC, signing out.